Debbie here. Today's guest is Britt Shefflin, and she is an author of Human Dreaming, The Dynamics of Dream Interpretation. We're going to dig into what are dreams, and did you know that there are seven components of dreams, and why would it be important to identify the valuable information that's coming through your dreams? also wanted to share that we're going to correlate blood sugar crashes with your dreams. So stay tuned. If you haven't already hit the subscribe button, do that so that you get our newest and latest podcast guests as they are published. Hi, this is Debbie and this is Light Up Your Worth. This podcast is for you, the spiritual curious woman seeking inspiration, hope, and practical knowledge as you navigate a life transition and move forward with confidence in rebuilding a new and radiant life. Each week, you will be given an all-access pass into the lives of other soulful spiritual women who get real and vulnerable as they share their very own unique journey through transition. This podcast is here to provide engaging and heart-centered conversations that offer so much wisdom, it'll motivate you, and light up your worth. Hello, this is Debbie and this is Light Up Your Worth. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. I have such a treat and I'm so excited to bring you my guest today and her name is Britt Shefflin and she is a certified hypnotherapist and the author of the book Human Dreaming, The Dynamics of Dream Interpretation. She also hosts her own podcast called Human Dreaming, and she has a Facebook group um, with the same name. And really her hypnotherapist-related uh, specialties include dream therapy, joyous childbirth, releasing fears and phobias, and creating handwriting analysis profiles. I am so excited to have her on. Uh, in the show notes, I'll put a link to her book as well as her Instagram and TikTok, which are also of the same name. So welcome, Britt. Thank you. It's so great to be here, Debbie. No, I'm excited. I love dreams. (laughs) That's why you wrote the book about it, right? Yeah, it's exactly why. And I, I love hypnotherapists. I really love how we do work in our subconscious, whether it's in hypnotherapy or if it's in some of the other spiritual modalities and all the science that's behind all the work that we're all doing to really raise the consciousness and heal so many things with people. So, so excited that you're here. And I wanted to jump in and start talking about like, what are what are dreams from the perspective of like how you're presenting them in the book and with hypnotherapists? I'm super curious. Sure. So it's a bit of a Venn diagram in that I approach it from like a scientific angle and a psychological angle and a spiritual angle. So um, I have had, I'm not a a super woo person. So I really like to have answers for things. And so I'm very drawn to like scientific answers and I love reading dream studies and all of that. But I have also had experiences in my life that are not yet explainable by that. 
And so I also really like to dive into those spiritual experiences that people are having that I've had in dreams. Um, and then also just the psychological aspect, what is the valuable information that we're getting out of dreams? I feel like we spend one third of our life processing all of this information in our sleep and yet we wake up as if it doesn't count for anything. And that just blows my mind because once you become aware of your dreams and how to understand them, what types of information you can get from it, it would be like if you just didn't care about one third of your day happening at all, like as if it didn't matter the whole time that you went to work. Yeah. Just was completely erased from your memory. You That's know? pretty significant. One third of your day. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty significant. I know I've always dreamed. I've always had vivid dreams, all different types of dreams, reoccurring dreams, really, um, you know, terrifying dreams. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. I, I've, I've had in the past, you know, like a big book. And if I kept seeing something like, I saw spiders in my dream, then I would go rush over to the book and I would open it up. And sometimes it made sense, you know, about what it was saying. And then other times it just seemed too. sometimes it just seemed too general. And so I, uh, in your book, I believe that you wrote, you break out the seven components of the different types of dreams. Yeah, exactly. So the seven components kind of tell you a little bit of what different type of information you can get from each one. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, before we move on, I did want to say a caveat that not everybody remembers their dreams. And for some people, it is a protective mechanism. So I'm not poo-pooing mm-hmm. anybody who has nightmares or just really doesn't want to remember what goes on in their dreams, because there is definitely a place for that as well. Um, and generally those people might have one or two dreams that they remember in their entire life that are affecting enough for them to remember, but otherwise they just, it's not a good space for them. So I do want to make sure that people know I understand that as well. And, um, you know, that has its own place. Um, but as far as the seven components of dreams, I break it down into dream type. So there's um, what I call sorting dreams, which is when your brain is just processing all the information from the day saying, this is valuable, this I don't need to save. And so it's kind of just figuring out what to store on your hard drive and what to kick off. Um, And those are basically a moot point because nobody ever remembers those. (laughs) You would have to be woken up from a deep, deep sleep to be able to access any of those. Um, And then there's predictive dreaming, which is where your brain takes all of the information that has ever happened from birth to the present day. And it runs it through different scenarios to kind of predict what is going to happen next. So it'll run you through likely scenarios based on your previous life experience and the way that you operate as a human Um, to come up with a lot of times pretty accurately things that might happen to you. So sometimes it could be a warning. Sometimes it could be practice um, for certain events. Like if you were a basketball player and you had a big game coming up, you might have predictive dreams to help walk you through the different scenarios. Or um, if you have conflict with somebody, it might give you a better opportunity to practice it while you're sleeping. So that's kind of the predictive dream realm. Oh, that's and really a lot interesting. Of times, mm-hmm. 
Um, people will have some that really aren't explainable, like how their brains got that information. And so I can't really speak to that because it's we're not there with the science yet of how that happens. But sometimes they can be incredibly accurate and no real way to tell where that information came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other two types kind of go together and that is releasing slash reinforcing. Releasing dreams are when you're like venting out stuff that was valuable at one point, maybe defense mechanisms, maybe um, you've finished processing an emotional experience and you're ready to vent it out, um, to release it, let go of it. Reinforcing dreams tend to be kind of the more joyful, pleasant things. And those are usually reinforcing a new healthy habit or something that makes you feel really good. Um, Reinforcing your love for yourself or other people love for a pet, things like that. Um, And oftentimes the releasing dream nightmares, the unfortunate thing is when people don't realize that that's what they're having, they will reassociate that emotional experience back in and then they have to reprocess it again because they didn't realize their brain is just trying to let go of it. And that's why they're dreaming about it, not because it's uh, still needs to be on the front of their mind, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So that's the, the main dream types. And then it goes down into subtypes. So subtypes would be like, what time period is the dream about? Is it about the present, the past, the future? Was it joyful? Was it a nightmare? Was it spiritual? So you can kind of, sometimes there's more than one subtype. Like it might be present and spiritual if you were dreaming about the death of a loved one that actually happened during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, where they come to you in your sleep on the night they die or things like that. That um, is a pretty common one that happens to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can determine whether or not your dream is more psychologically based or physiologically based. So if you are um, having a fight flight in your sleep, but you, you can't, it's the same as when you're awake, when you're in like a fight, flight, freeze, fawn mode, your frontal lobe is just kind of shut off and you're not able to think clearly mm-hmm. and there's no ability to tell the story. So when you're asleep, you can't tell a story. So it's not a psychological dream. If you're, for example, like running, running in place, like those types of dreams where nothing really happens, but a monster is chasing you and it just never ends. It's like mm-hmm. on a loop. That would be one of the um, signals that it is most likely a physiologically triggered dream. That could be anything from low blood sugar to medication to hormones. Most of the time it's low blood sugar, but there are other causes for physiological dreams. Um, Oftentimes sex dreams occur during certain parts of our lives when your hormones are kind of raging Mm -hmm. (laughs) at different points of development and Mm -hmm. throughout your life. And so you'll get them kind of clustered in certain periods of your life. And that that would be, again, physiological because you have all of these hormones going through. So your your body is telling you what's going on in the mind. Um, And then psychological dreams definitely usually have a full story arc. So it starts with one emotion, ends with another, and there's stuff that happens in between. Um, And those generally tell a a full story. So... um, yeah, and that's step three. I can keep going if you want me to. Yeah, no, no, it's just really, it's really <laughs> quite interesting, all of those different categories, because 
when you're dreaming, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I, I wake up and I've had dreams almost every night that I can remember, you know, I'm, I guess I'm fortunate that way, you know, to be able to dream. But um, one of, uh, one of the things that I'm always so curious about, because you had talked about, you know, the whole spiritual aspect is in, you know, from the, the beliefs that I subscribe to is that when people pass, they come through to talk to us in our dreams. And so um, I can actually even see them and have, you know, like I'm having a conversation with them. Like my dad comes and visits me. Sometimes he's been passed over for a while. And if I'm in a period of time where I really wish he was here, he'll show up in my dream. Mm -hmm. It's really quite fascinating, you know, and, um, and ask him, I'll ask him a couple questions and then I'll wake up and I'm not worried about those, like not knowing something. So my dad was an outdoors person, worked with like plants and, you know, did my yards for me at my house. And he was just one of those hands-on guys, but he wasn't a big talker. And he was also who helped me with my vehicles for, for instance. So if I'm thinking about like something silly, changing my different types of oil, or do I really need to go get a 3000, you know, mile oil change? I'll talk to him about it. Hey, my, my ride's like at $4,500 or 4,500 miles. And I'll think about it when I'm, it might be on my mind that day. And that, that night he might just show up in my dream. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about where it's like, I love all the sciencey stuff, but we don't have any answers for that. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a beautiful experience. And I think it's okay to take that at face value as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, you know, I'm, what I'm interested about too, is that when you understand some of your dreams, it can really give you some really powerful suggestions, I guess, or, or guidance to what you're doing in your life of like, what's working, not what's not working a direction. And how have you seen that play out with, um, you know, people that you work with or yourself or. Yeah, certainly. Um, all of those, uh, for myself, um, I think one of the big ones for me was the realizing that releasing dreams, like especially bad dreams are letting go. And once I realized they're letting go, I don't have to keep repeating that. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of it turning into a recurring dream where I'm like reprocessing the same information over and over, just being able to be like, okay, that was a releasing dream. I know what it's about now. I pinpointed, you know, where it came from. I know the whole content and I can just let it go. Um, and also being able to identify reinforcing dreams. Like I always, you know, I have a lot of dreams where I laugh and it'll be like comedy or nature and it's just so beautiful and I now know that it's reinforcing something good that I'm doing for myself and so just knowing those little details is incredibly helpful for me um I don't have as many of the like physiological issues as I tend to get with my clients so a lot of them mm -hmm. will have you know the low blood sugar dreams night terrors 
sleep paralysis, those kinds of things, um, or maybe just really horrible psychological information that they're processing and just needing help getting through that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of more what I get as far as my clients. Um, yeah. yeah, that's really interesting because I've had a couple of reoccurring dreams throughout my life. Um, and one of them I had, uh, I think eventually I ended up sharing with my, um, with my mom in my forties. And it was really interesting because I, I couldn't tell, it wasn't something that I had ever experienced, but I kept re, um, you know, kept happening every once in a while, but it was where I'm over like a big, um, like a big ravine, I would say like, um, in Colorado, like the grain, the big, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, yeah, oh. like, like something like a grand Canyon type of thing, you know, like a gorge <laughs> and a gorge. Right. And where I'm seeing like a bridge cars and people and the bridge breaks and you can hear, you know, screams and that kind of stuff. Right. But, um, but no, I don't really hear too much of that. Actually. I don't hear that much of it. I just see more visual. So it's almost like, I don't want to say a silent dream, but it's more on the silent part of, of what I'm witnessing. And so I've always been afraid of heights. So I, um, you know, as long as I can remember, I was afraid of heights. So at one point, I think I was in my early forties. I remember sharing it with my mom out on a walk. It's very vivid me sharing her. And she, she tells me, well, I saw that. She saw, that. That she saw that actually happen when she was wow. very little, never knew anything about it. And so I was like, oh, well, that's really, that's really interesting. That kind of is what got me into um, wanting to learn more about epigenetics, you know, yeah. how we, we yeah. can uh, share uh, the, the drama, you know, comes in our DNA. But yeah. I, I just thought it was really fascinating how it shows up in our dreams. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a pretty cool one. Um, yeah, I mean, genetic memory. I mean, if you look at animals that have never seen a snake in their life, but they're genetically from somewhere where there's snakes, when they eventually see, you know, somebody's pet snake or something, they're going to know what it is and have that same fear reaction or whatever, whatever it is that they're relating to. So there is some sort of genetic memory that happens. And it kind of doesn't surprise me that something like a fear of heights or that type of memory could come through mm -hmm. in a dream. I have no idea how that works, but I sure would love to know. Right. Like it's so <laughs> fascinating. I think that's why I'm a big, a Joe Dispenza, but, and a Dr. Bruce Lipton. And there's, you know, mm -hmm. I know there's more Greg, Greg Bryden, I think also does a lot of that work, but um, really fascinating how they've made that into science mm -hmm. so that we can actually go back and understand it. Um, so now when you're working with people, why, why is it important if you're able to retain some of the, uh, some of the dreams, why is it important? Well, again, it could be important to some people and not to others. So mm -hmm. some people dream suppression might be more appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, but for those who do want dream recall, um, the reason why it's important is because you can tap into a lot of information that is pertinent to your waking life. Um, 
So for example, like which emotions you're processing, whether or not, if you're having a lot of physiological dreams, what's going on with you health-wise and how do you mitigate that? Um, that's just a couple of the things that can happen that are important that come up in dreams, but it, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. So how did you become fascinating? I mean, you know, so interested or um, in learning more about dreams. Well, I've always had really vivid dreams since I was a little kid. When I was really little, I had sleep paralysis and I didn't know what it was at the time. I just thought I was being attacked by these entities that made it hard for me to breathe and I couldn't move in my bed. Um, and eventually I stopped having sleep paralysis and those kinds of dreams. But I, you know, as often kids do, had a lot of other nightmares and kind of vivid type dreams about houses that still stick with me today. Um, so when I was a teenager and then into my early adulthood, I kept pretty extensive dream journals and um, started having a lot of predictive dreams that were scary accurate. And it kind of freaked me out because I didn't really understand what they were. So um, after about 10 years of dream journaling, I kind of stopped again until I went to um, HMI college, which is actually where Joe Dispenza went as well. And um, there was a dream therapy course that um, was based off of the work of Dr. John Kappas, who was a Greek immigrant slash psychotherapist slash hypnotist. And so he had his method for looking at dreams, which is essentially what my method is based off of. Um, but the course that I took was fairly brief and it gave a good kind of broad overview. But by the time I was done with it, I had a million questions and I was so excited by it and you know how to implement this information. But then I had questions and I started working with people on their dreams, like all through my internship. And then every time something new would come up, I would have another question. So I ended up starting to write it all down as a manual for myself. And then by the time I was done, I realized that I, needed to actually write it into a book for myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's essentially how the process came about. So it is, while it's based on Dr. John Kappas's technique, um, it is very much updated from 70s terminology. And there's a few more different categories. And the, the way that it works is just a little bit different, mm -hmm. um, but only because it's way more uh, intricate and thorough, but yeah, the whole very like uh, foundation of it is based off of his technique. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that you could take something that you have a solid foundation for and then bring it up to up to date, right? <laughs> With probably just things that have happened too in the field um, over the last, what is that, 40 years or 50 years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 52 or three years ago, I think is when he started the college. Um, and that's like, kind of shortly thereafter, I think was when Joe Dispenza and a lot of those people came through. Um, he, Dr. John Kappas ended up marrying, oh, forgetting her name, um, Mrs. Brady. Oh, Florence. Florence Henderson, yes. He mm -hmm. married Florence Henderson and she's actually a hypnotherapist as well. So. Really? <laughs> Brady bunch. <No. laughs> So I think I went off on a tangent there. What was the question again? Well, how you, you know, became, you know, your interest in it, but then 
how your book has developed out of it, but you were, you were sharing how we, you've taken something that was from the seventies and made it more viable, but I, you were also talking about the actual process, like a structure, more of a structured around how you could actually use this as something practical. Yeah. And that's what he did. He used it to be able, he used that and handwriting analysis. And those are the reasons why I know about that because it's taught in his school. Um, but it's, those are both ways that you can understand information from the subconscious, right? And that's what hypnosis and hypnotherapy is, is using the subconscious pathways to build new neural pathways in your brain for behavior modification, essentially. Yeah, I think that's fascinating, you know, because I did a session, I probably have done a couple sessions now of hypnotherapists in the last year, mm -hmm. and it feels like you're looking at a dream, but it really was a memory of something that was there. And it was so powerful. Um, so, so powerful. I think that when I think about uh, some of the dreams that we've had been able to access something greater, like sometimes you can kind of even sense that this is something that I need to really for myself anyway. Um, I know for those who don't remember their dreams, probably it's not meant to, you know, make them feel bad, but if you can remember them, is it helpful then to like write them down when they're fresh or, you know, cause I think it would be powerful to bring something like that into a hypnotherapist type of session too. Oh, absolutely. If, if you have information like that, and especially if you have a way for yourself to understand at least the beginnings of what that content is. And if it was a very affecting dream, it's not any different than waking life. If you have an affecting event in your life, like an interaction with somebody, or, you know, you saw something horrible, like a bridge collapsing or a car accident, that's going to stick with you, but you feel those same emotions in dreams. So understanding what event you're processing is super helpful. So either they can help you get to that, or you might have a way of understanding it yourself before you come in. And then they can definitely help you process that further and, uh, you know, avoid recurring nightmares and things like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel fortunate. I don't have a lot of nightmares. I mean, I have odd dreams, some really odd things or odd people. You know, I have the person who comes through after they've passed or, um, I think that's probably more because of, of me developing a lot of my spiritual tools with the connection to source. Um, so I, um, I'm really, what I found really interesting even too, and I thought, well, maybe there's even something connected to this, but on your book, you have a copy or your picture is actually of a pyramid. Yes. Tell me more about how that came about. I, I, I saw that and I thought there's got to be something here about you're yeah. talking about dreams and then you have a picture of a pyramid yes. in your book. <laughs> there is. And thank you for, for noticing that because um, it's not just a random symbol. Um, the structure of the process came to me as a pyramid. So, right, you've got your solid foundation. Mm -hmm. It's like layer one. And then you start building up from there. Um, and then, so once you have them all together and you see all those layers together, oh, you can see the whole picture. It's now a pyramid. Whereas if you just had all those pieces separately, maybe you don't know what the whole thing is, right? Yeah. So um, 
that was like my concept for me myself to understand like how to build the structure of dream interpretation. And then um, the reason why I chose it for the cover is because in, I believe the first chapter, I talk about the different kinds of dreams and how we use the word dream. So there's, um, you know, aspirational dreams, there's sleep dreams, and there's kind of like daydreaming fantasy dreams that are just kind of for fun. But the pyramid would be like an aspirational dream where a whole bunch of people got together and literally made a dream come true. You know, somebody came up with this idea, somebody knew the math of how to make it happen. And then all of these other people came together. So it's kind of like collective consciousness, um, dreaming, but you know, a lot of ideas that have changed the course of human history have literally come from dreams. Everybody, mm -hmm. you know, from um, Einstein to um, like, there's several chemists that have figured out the structure of certain chemicals in their dreams because once they have all that information and their mind is able to coalesce it all together in a, the creative state of dreaming, they have their answer. Um, so because of that, you know, from sleep dreams often comes those aspirational dreams and oh. that's why there's a pyramid you know elizabeth gilbert talks about that i think it's in big Mat. is it in her book big magic she sure. talks about um maybe it's not big magic but it's either that one or the one before um book not her novel but the the book that she talks about writing and she talks about how she will get an idea in a dream and it'll come to her. And she started to write this one particular book and uh, she threw herself into it, but she kept getting stuck, stuck. And then some other uh, project came, got her attention. And then she refocused it, kind of put that aside. In the meantime, she meets somebody um, like through her, you know, world net her networking group right and she meets this lady they hit it off they end up friends and she's telling her about the book that she's writing it was the same story oh wow it was the same story and she said she had put it on hold and at first she says if she wasn't so consciously aware of she says these ideas these inspirations mm -hmm. come through they get they get sent out to multiple people in their dreams and then some will grab it and some won't Mm -hmm. but the dream will keep coming like to you and say, okay, like, do you want to birth me? Do you want to birth this book through me mm -hmm. or this formula or this, you know, invention? And then if they decide to do it, then it comes through. And those are the people that we know about, but sometimes some people don't want to go chase it. So she had started to kind of write and do the research on this book. She put it on hold, you know, worked on the other project and this lady came out and then her version of the book, she ended up publishing the book. And she says this book was so much more phenomenal through this other writer than her, because she had lost kind of like the, um, the inspiration, I guess, right. Mm -hmm. To really complete the book. And then her friend ended up going on and it brought in all these other elements that she hadn't even thought about. And I thought, wow, that was really uh, really powerful because she was using it to inspire people. If you get these ideas, you know, go. And if you think they're maybe not fulfilled, somebody else is going to get the same dream with that same <laughs> idea. So it just depends on, um, and she uses some examples too. So I thought it was really 
um, interesting how, how you're even saying the same thing of how they come through to us. And I think people talk about that. They credit how they get certain ideas and not to like poo-poo them off. And yeah. As fascinating as this conversation is, we are going to pause for a moment and we'll be right back. It's Debbie. Do you love to read? I know I do. I've been reading since I was found in the closet, uh, probably before kindergarten, reading a book with the flashlight. Yeah, I was that child. I can remember as I was growing up during the summer, I would see how many books I could possibly read over the summer. I was always that girl. But somehow in the busyness of life and going through education and momhood and career, I let books that just lit me up without a link to my own professional development just kind of get put on the side. And with all of the isolation that's occurred over the last two years, all the challenges we've had, I really had to come back and find that part of myself that would just love to dive into a really good book. So I have joined a book club. And I'm with Brianna Brown with Badass Book Besties. She's amazing. You can find her on Insta on Badass Book Besties. Not only is she just this wonderful person, um, but she also shares the love of books and learning. And her online book club is just so delightful. So, so, so delightful. I've been able to dive into books uh, that really bring me a lot of book, you know, a lot of uh, pleasure and enjoying them and being able to go to. We've been reading or we've read already the Elizabeth Gilbert City of Girls, the Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin. Um, we're reading a Timeless and she just makes it a lot of fun. So if you feel like joining us, feel free, let her know, let Brie know that you found her by me. Again, find her on Instagram on Badass Besties or her website, Brie Brown, which is B-R-I-B-E-E Brown.com. Yeah, and it happens a lot with people who are in that state of expertise in their, their field, you know, because all of these ideas have had time to bounce around, you know, in their physical body and in their brain and then kind of comes through and then sometimes you hit it at that right time and that magic happens. But, but yeah, so every thing that is around us that was created by humans first had to be a dream, right? Either a sleep dream or a daydream. Mm-hmm. Got to dream it up. Got to think it up. It has to happen in the mind. And then you do the thing and then it becomes a part of your being. And we're surrounded by stuff that people have dreamed up. And because we're surrounded by stuff that people have dreamed up, that gives us even more opportunity to dream up other new things. And that's really what humans are good at is problem solving. (laughs) Aren't we though? Yeah, it is. It's really, um, well, thank you for sharing how that pyramid with the book came through and how that whole inspiration comes through. And I really like that structure too, of being able to take it from the pyramid because it just, I don't know, when I was looking at the cover, I just got something off of it. And so uh, thank you for helping me understand that. 
I wanted to see too, from um, a spiritual perspective, um, you hear about people use their dreams to do astral travel. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, like, I'm sure you've heard of it, but how, how could that possibly intertwine with the work that you've done in your understanding of uh, dreams? Because when I personally, when I go to bed, I have to say, I don't want to go someplace that's not full of love and light. Mm-hmm. And it does impact what I wake up and remember. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, setting intentions for dreams works surprisingly well. Um, you know, sometimes I don't always get what I ask for. Like, I realized that I had never had my daughter in a dream. And this was like recently, she was already seven, I think. And I was like, gosh, you know, I never dream about my daughter, but we have so much fun during the day. Why isn't she showing up in my dreams? So I asked for my dreams hey, like, let's have dreams with my daughter in them and with Tala in them, thinking it would be like my normal happy dreams being out in nature, taking pictures of rainbows and waterfalls. But instead, I had a a teeth falling out anxiety dream. But instead of my teeth falling out, it was like all of her teeth were crumbling out. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, I had a similar thing happen with asking for dreams about riding horses, because that's something I like to do. And I don't ever dream about riding horses. And so, Point being, it helps to be really intentional about how you ask for what you want to show up in mm-hmm. the dream. So I really like how you phrased um, somewhere with joy and love and light. Yeah, it's only more- want to do as a light worker. I only want to be with the love and light. You know, I know some people want to go off and fight. You know, fight in the. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't. Well, we're doing so much of that these days during our waking hours that I think it's perfectly acceptable to want to escape from that in your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, is there any like uh, correlation between when you get into like, um, like when I do my daily meditation, right? I come down and I'm in, like, I can obviously hear things. I use guided meditations for the most part. It's my most common way to meditate but you, you're off like in some other place. And it seems like there's got to be some type of correlation between that state and the dream state. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like in hypnosis, you'll drop down into a theta state, which is like a, a sleep state, mm-hmm. a lighter sleep state. Um, but you can also have that occur while you're awake, which is you are awake during hypnosis, even though some hypnotists will say deep sleep you're not actually sleeping. It's just more of a restful state for your nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And then, um, sorry, I think I missed your point about astral travel. So how would that work? Well, I'm not really an expert in, you know, either metaphysics or scientific physics. Um, but I'm pretty sure that I've read that time doesn't really exist the way that we perceive it. So who knows, maybe it's possible to access future and past um, through dreams, through hypnotic states. Um, I mean, I certainly use past life regression and future life progressions therapeutically with my clients. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I'm at a, I come at, at it from a place that it doesn't matter if it's true as long as it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I find it very therapeutic for myself as well as for my clients. Um, so I just don't put too much thought into like 
needing to have all of the answers mm -hmm. rather that it's just a really effective tool. Um, but is it possible that we can astral project and access different times? I mean, based off of a lot of people's experiences, I would say, yeah. Um, I do know, forgetting the name of the project, I actually have some of their um, papers and recordings on my, on my desktop here, but the CIA used to have a project that was testing that. And they, um, it was the HemiSync. Oh. Um, that wasn't the name of their project, but that's what the recordings do. It's like synchronizing the hemispheres of your brains, mm -hmm. of your of both sides of your brain. Um, and they would attempt to astral project to be able to spy. So they started doing some experiments where they would um, astral project across the country to somebody else's computer screen and there would be like five or six digits and they would have to try to read the computer screen and eventually they scrapped the program because they were only like 66 percent accuracy so it wasn't enough to be able to get like a full code or something but they would get a surprising amount of the numbers right so you know there is something there mm -hmm. but how to access it to the quality of 100%. They didn't really find out. Um, and I think probably ran out of money. <laughs> yeah, when do you think, when did they um, do those studies, the time? Um, you know, I'd have to look it up, but I wanna say it was like from the 60s uh, through the 80s or maybe even early mm -hmm. 90s, a pretty long running thing. Um, yeah. Well, that makes sense that they would have tried it then, right? Because it seems like so many things were actually being tested in the 50s, 60s, and 70s mm -hmm. that people now talk about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the yeah. Earth's vibration, right? Did you ever hear about Schumann's residency? I mean, that was around from NASA, for goodness sake, in the 50s about the Earth's vibration. And now we hear about it the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, yeah. so it makes sense that they were doing this study. Can you imagine if they decided to do it now? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because a lot of them are coming back and being studied. Like, for example, a lot of the, um, the felony level drugs, especially psychedelics, are now having a resurgence of being tested for what they were originally, some of them were originally intended for, which is, um, you know, helping people recover but some of them were tested for psychological warfare as well so um you know like i believe lsd was supposed to be one of those where they wanted to kind of break people down mentally mm -hmm. but then you know a lot of those other compounds like mdma those are all having a resurgence of being tested because they went through and then they realized some things about them and said well we better make these illegal. And so now it, it's just had to go through such a process to be able to even be studied legally that it has taken this long to, to get back to re-examining those compounds to see what they're actually useful for and not useful for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really tells you how open our society is and where we've come so, so far as the collective, right? Like we couldn't have had this, like really these conversations openly on some podcast 
or, you know, 30 years ago, right? Like, well, we didn't have podcasts, but it would have been a radio show back then probably. And, you know, it's just so different how everything is just all coming together and out and the conversations we're able to have. I love all the hearing about all the old uh, research that that comes out you know i'm a history i love history and so i think it just really shows you that there was a lot of people really curious and how we've all been kind of waiting for what where we are today with what's happening and you know how they talk about moving from 3d to 5d and it's here Mm -hmm. and it's actually here you know it's actually starting to happen and and so it makes sense that they would go back and want to take a look at the compounds of those type of uh, drugs, you know, why they made them illegal versus. Yes. And I'm sorry that my, my history isn't more accurate. I would have uh, polished up on my dates and the names of the the studies and whatnot, if I'd known we were going to talk about that, but my memory is a little bit uh, less accurate than, um, than the facts require. So. Yeah, no, I think it's great because we didn't, um, so everybody knows, you know, we don't pre-script out what we're going to talk about. It just kind of flows. And sometimes we have some of the information, but we can always link it too. Oh, If you wanted to, we can link it in the show notes and add it in for somebody who's interested in it. So we don't, Mm -hmm. it is quite fascinating. I I love too that you, you know, where, where you studied at H. H-M-I or H-I-M? H-M-I. H-M-I. So that that is where some of the people that we all know, you know, know about now, like, I think you can't be on the earth if you haven't heard of Joe Dispenza, or especially anybody who would be listening to this podcast. Sure. I, I think everybody knows who Joe Dispenza is. Uh, if not, then they need to go look him up because, you know, all the work that he's done. But to know that he's, he actually studied where you've learned you know, about this and came from it from, uh, you know, the whole logical sense, because you had mentioned that some stuff you need to understand the science, even coming from a science perspective, but you also listen to your own self, your own intuition. And you only need so much information to be able to trust that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're as a, as a collective whole, getting more and more information that is showing how valuable it is to listen to your intuition, even though we might not know exactly how it works yet, we know that it does work. And mm-hmm. once you can differentiate between your intuitive voice and your logical voice, then you are able to tap into it. You know, there's the voice that's like trying to always talk you out of things, um, with logic that was probably, you know, I uh, beat out of us is the wrong term, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, as children, we're, we're told like, you know, to basically stuff away all of our instincts, you know, that's a lot of like what we learned how to do growing up, your emotions, your instincts, you got to put all that away because we got to put you in these boxes. Mm-hmm. This is how things are done. And so most of us didn't come through with really a a solid sense of intuition, although we have it when we're born, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're lucky, you get to hang on to some of it and then be able to understand what that voice sounds like or feels like when it hits your, hits your body. Yeah. There's been a common 
I would say a common thread between most of the people who've been on the podcast is that they had their intuition when they were young, voice it. And somewhere between like five and seven, when they would voice it, or, or even a little bit younger, maybe four to six, probably, and almost in the whether it was spoken, or the uh, demonstrated with behaviors of like, no, we don't talk like that. We don't think those thoughts, you know, go through here. And when you were when you were um, explaining that, I actually got this old like 70s song of like um, singing in my brain about, you know, um, how we are taught really to not do that. We're, we're taught to not go through and we you need to fit in and you don't trust that. And it's very there's very few of us who actually are allowed to develop that as a child to continue to develop it as a child. And so um, I love how you take some science as well as following your intuition. I think it's so important. I, that's how I also live. And so sometimes I know when we're in classes too, there's always people who have a different way of learning who need to know and learn everything with why does this make sense but so much stuff we just don't simply understand quite yet yeah agreed we'll get there someday <laughs> yeah I, I think we will you know um I know we will because that's where um that's where we're actually going as a, a collective so um super powerful so is there anything that you'd like to um, give our listeners like um, a tip or something that a takeaway of everything that you know about what you've done. And I highly encourage them to go get the book, you know, human dreaming, the dynamics of dream interpretation. Um, and just even if they had one takeaway that you would encourage them to do with their dreams, what would that be? Well, I would encourage them to pay attention to any dream that they do remember, even if they're not practicing dream recall, because you are remembering it for a reason. And um, learn how to process that, whether you use my technique or somebody else's technique, whatever resonates for you. Ultimately, nobody else can interpret your dream for you. They can probably, some super intuitive people might be able to get some pretty good ideas, but ultimately, you are the only person who knows what symbols mean to you. You're the only person who knows what feels right when you hear the answer. So whether you get help from somebody else or you have your own technique for figuring things out, find a way to understand what those dreams mean and how they're valuable to you, especially if they are recurring dreams. And this is actually scientifically proven. Recurring dreams don't go away until you process whatever information it's trying to deal with. So if it's if you're having a recurring dream, it is saying, hey, hey, pay attention. I'm important. Listen to me. <laughs> so um, yes, recurring dreams, probably the most important ones to pay attention to. But um, regardless of what your dream recall is like, if you remember a dream, it probably has some kind of important information for you. The other thing I would say because this is just so common and so tragic, is that if you are having those types of dreams that don't have a story and are really scary 
and you wake up sweating or shaking or super emotional, but there isn't really a lot of content to it. Like I'm talking about those monster chase dreams, mm-hmm. stuff like that. 99% certain you're probably having a blood sugar crash while you're sleeping. So your body goes into fight flight. It's just like when you're hangry, when you're awake and you can't function because you're too hungry. Um, eat healthy before you go to bed. Have a hard boiled egg or some almonds or something that's going to carry you through, especially if you're somebody who tends to, to have blood sugar drops throughout the day where you do get hangry. Um, so that I think those would be my two kind of main takeaways that if everybody knew that, then they would probably have a lot more better relationship with their dream life. Yeah, that's really powerful because they may not even notice that they're doing it during the day, especially the blood sugar drop to wake up, to be able to have that. Um, and I think, mm-hmm. oh, sorry. We all know what feeling hangry is like. Yeah. Yeah. That happens in your sleep too. <laughs> <laughs> and if not, you can go watch the Snickers commercial, right. And see, yeah. I think it's Snickers, right. With uh, being able to do it. And, and I think you've really inspired me to think about the dreams I'm having and really start writing them down to see, like, I'm always interested in patterns and trends of what I'm dreaming about, you know, like, is it astro travel, you know, is it a recurring pattern or theme? And when I go to have like the next session with a hypnotherapist, um, or any type of energetic work where we're working on my subconscious, I can have some information to even go, I wonder what this is. Let's go look at this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're always welcome to join me in the Human Dreaming Facebook group where I help people break dreams down as much as they want. Some people only want general information. Some people want a complete breakdown and some people just need to vent and um, maybe share how they came to a conclusion about what their dream is about. Um, But yeah, you're always welcome to get any dream assistance there. And then if you want to take it deeper, there's my book, there are other books, you might resonate more with drawing your dream, for example. Um, And there are whole books on that. So whatever way you choose to understand them, there's, uh, there's help to be found. Oh, I love that. Um, And I think it's really powerful that you really focus on fears and phobias. (laughs) I mean, I think so many of us have a phobia, whether it's a, I mean, I have a fear of heights that I've worked on and worked on. I can drive over bridges now, Mm -hmm. but, um, I have noticed that when I'm focused in, um, when I'm doing a lot of, um, life changes Mm -hmm. that that comes up more. So I have to consciously self-talk myself still, you know, as I go over, I make sure I have like a song. It's always music that I can sing to. And I just tell myself I can do it. And, you know, and I've been able to learn how to go, go over overpasses and bridges, but it was at a point where it was just, you know, I, I would find other ways to get places. And so all my friends are like, Oh yeah, we got it. I'm from the Bay area where there's this huge thing, 680 to 280. And we would find ways like, no, I cannot sit in traffic on the top of that thing. Yeah. Like, I, I will lo- I will jump out of my mind, right? It feels to me like we're just gonna fall off of it. Yes, yeah, and that is the power of phobias. There's no rational way around them and they can be about silly things. Like I can tell you about 
one of my phobias was of champagne corks popping. Like it just would freak me out beyond belief. I knew it was silly. Like I knew a champagne cork isn't going to hurt me. You know, even if it flew across the room, probably not going to lose an eye. Yeah. Um, and the other one was like those little biscuit cans that pop. Mm -hmm. Like I just, anything that I didn't know when the moment was going to happen, it was like just such an irrational gut level fear. Um, and by learning, it's funny because I never actually even did a hypnotherapy session to get rid of those specifically, but by working with other clients, with my clients on their fears and phobias, I realized they were gone one day. Um, so I get the side benefit of yeah. <laughs> accidentally helping myself when I'm helping other people. But um, yeah, fears, here's an interesting thing. Fears are rational. They're usually tied back to an event that you know about, right? Like say that you had seen a bridge collapse as an adult in this lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. um, that would be a fear. You have like a legitimate reason. If you'd been in an actual plane crash, the next time you get on a plane, that would be a fear, right? You have a legitimate experience with this event. Mm -hmm. um, a phobia, you usually don't know where they're coming from. Um, fears can develop into phobias, but like 90% of the time phobias happen from an event that you're unaware of. And <laughs> coming back to blood sugar again, mm -hmm. a majority of the time they develop because of an association when you had a blood sugar drop of something happening. So it could have been something that was on the TV and you had a blood sugar drop and maybe people are, you know, it's uh, turbulence in the movie, right? Mm -hmm. And you ate a bunch of candy at the movie theater and, you know, 40 minutes later, you're starting to plummet blood sugar wise. And then you have this event happen. Don't even associate it because it's just a movie, right? Mm -hmm. And then two years later, when you get on an airplane, you're like, why do I've been flying my whole life? Why do I have this fear all of a sudden, this debilitating fear? It's because you associate it. And then every time you get on a plane and you have that fear again, it reassociates it. So it's like reinforcing it. So every time you have the phobia, it makes it worse. So another, so fears generally get better over time. Phobias generally get worse over time, but they're kind of the same process for releasing them. Oh, that's fascinating because I know I've had a fear of flying and in my corporate jobs, uh, I flew a lot in the U S and then eventually I started flying a frequently to Asia from the, like from San Francisco, those are long flights, right? Like you're in the plane for 16 hours or 17 hours. And, but it was, I didn't actually have, um, phobias getting on the big planes. Those are like cities. It seems like, yeah. and then you have these, um, Hey baby, sorry. Okay. but the, uh, somebody's home, just in case anybody ever wants to know, right. Somebody's <laughs> home, I'm safe. <laughs> and, um, but in the small planes, even now, if I'm in the U S flying, I found that as I was flying so frequently, like I just got used to it. I could go fall asleep. I was also, you know, in business class. So I had a nice comfy area and stretching my legs and I just was able to relax. And if we hit turbulence, it was just this little bloop. And then 
it just rode smoother, right? It's yeah. like just an, an upgraded car or something driving on the road. But then in the smaller planes, after I went a period of time, they were, it was like, oh, I could start feeling it again. I could literally physically have a reaction. And mm-hmm. I'm like, where in the world did this ever come from? But so that would be really interesting for me to go back and just really think about what you just said. Like, I wonder yeah. if I was watching some movie at some point and, yeah. and had low, you know, what you're saying, right? The crash coming from eating candy, because I have always ate candy or yeah. something of that nature. That's really, that's a really helpful tip. Yeah. And if I may, just a little bit more of an elaboration on that. Another reason why fear of flying specifically is such a common one is um, because think about usually like you're rushing to the airport in the morning, you're probably not eating a healthy breakfast. You might have a wine on the airplane, but you didn't even eat that breakfast or it was, you know, not something super healthy. Um, And then on your way through, it's like departure, terminal, final destination, all of these like subconscious words coming in while you're like in a little bit of an uh, heightened aroused, like agitated state, Mm -hmm. you know, the stress of being in the airport you're hungry or hangry or your food wasn't satisfying. So people can really focus on keeping their blood sugar stable. Again, like almonds, um, hard boiled eggs, eating a healthy breakfast before they leave the house. Um, you might, they might want to maybe only have one glass of wine <laughs> instead of two or three on the plane. Um, things like that can really, really go a long way to preventing the phobia of flying. It just oh, being that's aware really of that. that's really interesting because when you go and also before you fly you're going on a trip you're away from home there's a lot of you have a big list of stuff whether you have children maybe you're getting maybe they're not coming maybe you have pets or parents you mm-hmm. got to get their plan of care all lined up and but there's a lot I didn't used to sleep very well before because I was always afraid I was forgetting something or inevitably you end up forgetting something, but it's like, well, how critical was what, what I forgot. And Mm -hmm. so I wouldn't sleep very well the night before. Uh, But on the big trips, I knew that I didn't, it didn't matter because I could fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if there was turbulence, I didn't, it didn't really bother me versus the, the other ones, but that would probably have naturally had a lower blood sugar just from the sleep Mm-hmm. The, the lack of a normal sleep pattern because maybe you're getting up at three o'clock in the morning and that's not pretty normal for some of yeah. us that, you know <laughs> off your whole cycle and that throws off your cortisol cycle and your melatonin cycle and yeah all of that and that's oh. all related oh my gosh that's a fantastic tip for somebody all the flyers <laughs> that are out there especially if we start opening up you know the world where people are starting to fly a lot more again so yeah. oh, well this has been so fascinating Brett, I, I've learned a lot about dreams. Just well, great. in our, in our talk. Step three, so yeah. <laughs> there's a lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to digging in with the book and uh, bringing it to my book club because I think it's um, there's just so much, so much goodness there. So thank you for spending all of that time with us and sharing what you have learned. And I really hope somebody reaches out. And, um, do you want to share all of your social again? And so that people can write that down and reach out to you. 
Yeah. Um, if people want to email me, it's Brit at BritShefflin.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-S-H-E-F-L-I-N. Um, I am on social media, both um, Instagram and TikTok is at human underscore dreaming. And on Facebook, the human dreaming Facebook group, where if you want to learn more about dreams, read dream studies, learn more about how we break down dreams into the different categories. And then um, other people will bring in their techniques for understanding symbology. Um, that's a really fun, great little group. I think it's weird about uh, just over 200 people right now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a really great resource. And yeah, those are the main places to find me. And thank you so much for having me. I can't, can't wait to have you on and talk to you about your dreams. Yeah, me neither. I can't wait to get into those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guess I should mention the podcast too, the Human Human Dreaming mm -hmm. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, and I've really enjoyed your podcast. I find the episodes in your guests really quite fascinating. Oh, good. Um, they're just so really a, a different assortment of, of personalities and what they bring. I, I highly recommend everybody subscribe uh, to her podcast. Yeah, I would say the same about yours. You have a great uh, panel of guests. I love it. Yeah, it's really, this is so much fun getting to know different people and sharing. You know, I really, the intent is for people to really, you know, own their own worth and whatever that means for them and to be able to use any of the tools or, you know, the tools that people are really good at and the inspiration of what people have overcome because women are just amazing. I think, you know, as far as what we've overcome collectively as a history, as well as, you know, what's happening today and how much has just happened, even in my short life of 50 odd years. And so just how much has happened. So, well, thank you again. And um, so glad you were here. <laughs> thank you, Debbie. As fascinating as this conversation is, we are going to pause for a moment and we'll be right back. Hi, Debbie here. Are you a lover of essential oils, crystals, energy healing work, channeled messages, positive affirmations? Well, do I have uh, something to share with you? My friend Nikki is the owner of Sage Essential Oils. She's on Instagram, sage underscore essential oils. I'll include that in the show notes. But I wanted to share with you that she does these amazing essential oil alchemy blends that have crystals and these amazing blends of essential oils called ground alchemy, calm alchemy, uplift, nurture, daydream. And they're all these really delicious and yummy blends. She also includes with each order a personal intuitive affirmation that's downloaded and channeled just for you and a beautiful postcard. So as a healer, she's a Reiki healer and she does ancestral healing sessions as well. And she's located in Australia. And so if you want to try these amazing things, I highly recommend them. I love them and I use them in my own life. So Again, her Instagram is sage 
underscore essential oils. Let her know that you heard about her here on Light Up Your Worth podcast. Be blessed. Hi, it's Debbie. Hey, I wanted to share a group that I joined um, earlier this year called Polka Dot Powerhouse. It's a way to get to know people in person, right? I don't know about you, but after spending so much time alone last year, the beginning of this year, I was really seeking an in-person way to meet like-minded professional women. And so I kind of stumbled upon uh, the Polka Dot Sisterhood and I joined as a member and I absolutely love it. It's a very uplifting way of women supporting each other, empowering, collaboration as we get to know each other as people and as professionals uh, and networking and sharing our services with each other. I'm part of the Carson City, Nevada branch and if you're interested in joining us you can go to polka dot powerhouse that's p-o-l-k-a-d-o-t-p-o-w-e-r-h-o-u-s-e.com and let them know that you're interested in going to a meeting and let them know it's from hearing this on my light up your work podcast and i'm debbie McAllister. Thanks. See you soon. Britt sure was knowledgeable, wasn't she, about dreams? I hope you enjoyed that. I would love if you would share the episode. We're growing our podcast. We're over 18 countries now. Woohoo! So excited. So who do you know that would really benefit from all of our spectacular guests and all of the knowledge that they're sharing We would love to have them join us. Also know that you can follow me on YouTube just under Debbie McAllister. Sending you sunshine until next episode.